following sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. Man, oh man, so good to see you guys again. And uh, many of you I know I saw at the camp last year, late last year, and I so enjoyed that. And uh, yes, I'm from... uh, across the Tasman and um, of course the rugby season is about to start Um, and I would say that at the camp last year the World Cup was on and uh, there was a a game between the All Blacks and South Africa actually while I was at the camp and I I think the All Blacks won, I I could be wrong, I think the All Blacks won And, and I just wanted you to know because I didn't do it then but I had an All Blacks jumper in my suitcase but I didn't wear it. And I thought that was incredibly gracious of me. Actually, it was about self-preservation. I thought I'd be killed by the South Africans among us. But uh, it's just a delight to be with you. It's so good. It's like, it is family. I just so am thrilled that we're part of a family of churches. And so it is like family. You turn up and you think you see friends and people you've known for years. Others you haven't known so much, but you know we're on the same page. We're on the same wavelength. We use the same terminology and mean the same things. And it's part of the family of God. And, oh, we do praise God. It switches right across the world into so many different cultures. And, uh, yeah, so I do praise God for you guys. It's such a, a delight to have known some of you for years. Um, and I wanted to share with you this morning something from First Peter, which um, I know you've had a few talks from First Peter uh, in the not-too-distant past. And if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to 1 Peter, the first two verses of 1 Peter. And uh, I'm glad you've been looking at it on and off over the last every now and then, because... Um, to be honest, I've always loved this. I've always loved uh, 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, because in it, I don't know whether you've seen it before or noticed it, but you touch a shepherd's heart in a very profound way. You really do. Because the churches that he is addressing are churches that are beginning to undergo, in their day, terrible pressure and persecution, probably for the very first time. And, uh, and the church really is beginning to suffer in Peter's day. And so you'll notice this as you read 1 Peter. In verse 6 of chapter 1, he talks about them suffering grief and all kinds of trials. Uh, in chapter 2, he talks about how threatened uh, they are. In chapter 4, he talks about a fiery ordeal that's come upon them. And further in chapter 4, he talks about them being insulted for the name of Christ. All right, so this is the real deal. All right, in these churches, it really isn't fun going to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, it really isn't. It is tough. And you see, if I put myself in Peter's shoes, I know what I would be so tempted to write to these churches. All right, I, I think I'd say I'd be saying things like, "Just keep your heads down until the persecution passes." All right, just. Take your website off, bring your signage down, all right? Don't meet in the main hall, meet in homes, don't do any alphas, all right? Just keep your heads down until the persecution passes. I'd be tempted to do that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I would. Uh, But you see, Peter doesn't do that. His exhortations are, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. He says this, 
Always be prepared to give an answer for your faith. He says in chapter 4, Since Christ suffered, arm yourselves with the same attitude. And, and yeah, terrible, you know, really raise your, raise your heads, don't lower them. That's not keep your heads down. That's, that's keep your heads up. It's not hide away and be quiet, but it's declare and don't be ashamed. And that's apostolic Christianity. That's New Testament Christianity. And you see, what I find so moving about that is that Peter must have known by saying, keep your heads up, he was condemning people to death. He must have known that. Because that's what persecution meant back then. It meant going to jail. It meant splitting up families. It meant losing your job and ultimately death for some. And that's why I find First Peter so moving. In fact, I remember once I read the whole thing through, and I'd encourage you to do that. I read the whole of 1 Peter through, just speaking it out. And by the end of it, I remember I was, I was in tears as I caught the shepherd's heart of this amazing man. Because, because he had a heart for these people, but he would not back off. It's raise your heads, don't lower them. And so one of Peter's main tasks, as he writes 1 Peter, right, one of his main tasks has got to be to help these churches... Find strength to stand and to know what to do in the midst of pressure. Right? That's his aim. And to be honest, I think we need that today, even on the northern beaches. We need to know where to find our strength, where it comes from. And we need to know what to do and how to live in the midst of pressure. And I know in a crowd this size, I know there will be many of you here facing real pressures. Maybe in your marriages... Maybe financially, financial pressure is a terrible thing. Maybe as parents as you're trying to raise your kids. Or maybe in the job you are or the university or the school you attend, the deadlines you have to meet. We face real pressures. Now, we may not tell anybody else about them and we can be here and, and assume the mask, but deep down inside we face pressures, don't we? And this is Peter's concern, to help these believers know where to find their strength and where to find their direction in times of trial. And I'd argue the prime way he does this is by two things. All right, Number one, he reminds them of who they are. And number two, he spells out to them what that means. He reminds them of who they are. And he spells out to them what that means. And I believe we need to know that now more than ever, both here in Sydney or in Wellington or Christchurch or Perth or wherever, wherever we are. And the thing is amazing. Peter actually lays this out in the first two verses of 1 Peter. The first two verses. It's all in there. And so we're going to read the first two verses of 1 Peter. We can put that up. And, uh, and we'll hear what we're saying here. Here we go. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and get this, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. You see, what I believe is that in this carefully crafted intro, 
is the source of all the strength and direction you need as individuals and as a church. You see, if you break it down, what Peter is saying in this verse 2, what he's saying is this, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Number two, you are chosen according to the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Number three, you are chosen for obedience to Jesus. And number four, you are chosen for sprinkling by the blood of Christ. You have it all in these verses. You have strength and you have direction. It's all there. It's all you need. And to convince you of that, I want to major on two of the above. All right, two of those chosen. I love the way James opened up this morning. You're a chosen people. I want to talk about two of those chosen, but I just want to pray again. Is that okay? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your presence among us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, glorious King, who reigns. And we praise you that he bore our sins on the cross. And we bless you, Lord, that we weren't left as orphans, but you gave us your spirit that we might be children of God. And we thank you, Father, that you reign over us and your son is upon the throne and he reigns at your right hand. And we praise you for the coming kingdom. Please come upon us now as we just look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So number one, I want to look at the first one with you. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Folks, if you can get hold of this, it will transform the way you see your circumstances and your future. It's a glorious truth and the source of your strength. What does it mean? Well, first off, just to say what this verse does not mean. This verse does not mean that God knew that one day you would choose to follow him. It doesn't mean that doesn't mean that God, because he is God and knows everything, he simply knew what you would do. All right? doesn't mean that. What it means is this. He always knew not what you would do, but what he would do with you. That's what it means. It's Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, God, before the creation of the world, as Ephesians tells us, he chose you. He chose to put his love upon you. He chose to put his love upon you and to make something of you before you had a chance to do anything good or bad. Again, it's not because he knew you would be a good person, because the truth is he knew you wouldn't be. And he still chose you. That's what it means. None of us are good. He set his love upon you long before you ever set yours upon him. And he created this relationship whereby he would be your father and you would be his child. I was watching a documentary years ago now, a wonderful documentary, following a young English couple. As, uh, this is back in the 1990s. And, and they, were, they couldn't have children of their own, and so they wanted to adopt a child. And back in the 90s, 1990s, when uh, the Soviet bloc was falling apart, and, and uh, they were discovering in Romania particularly, they were discovering orphanages all over the place, if you remember, you know, where there's lots of just toddlers and children, orphans, just all thrown together in terrible, terrible uh, buildings, terrible conditions. And uh, this couple, and this, this documentary just follows the couple. It's like a, a little fly-on-the-wall documentary. And, uh, and this couple uh, were told they could have one of these children. 
And so it follows them through all the bureaucracy, all the paperwork, as they were gearing up to finally see their child. And, uh, and it's a very moving documentary because they finally get to Romania for the first time. They've not even seen this child yet, but they have a name. And this baby has been allocated to them. And, uh, and there comes the moment where they get out of the car and they see the orphanage. And it's terrible. There's no glass in the windows. It's a rundown building. And, uh, and they walk through the entrance and they're walking down the corridor and there's just children and it's filthy. And it's just mess on the floor everywhere. It's terrible conditions. And he finally makes their way down. The camera's following him. He finally makes the way down to the very far end and he finds a cot, no mattress on the cot, this little baby wrapped up, uh, hollow-eyed, scabby, sore, uh, only, only a year old, less than a year, eight, nine months old, there he is just lying there, and he looks at the name on the cot, and it's the name in his hand. And I'll never forget it, because what's so moving is you see a father set his love upon a child. And it's so moving, because he, I'll never forget, he reached over, and he picks up this baby, and it's like he's kind of almost talking to this child, and almost like he's saying, you're mine. I choose you, and, and you're going to grow up, and you're going to cause me grief, but that's okay. I'm your father now. And it was so many, you see tears in his eyes as he was sitting his love upon this baby. And there's a sense where God has done exactly that to you and me. You see, we were nameless. We were lost. We were filthy in our sin. We were nowhere. And God has come to each one of us and picked us up out of the cot. And he set his love upon us and brought us into his relationship where he's promised to father and love us. That is very cool, by the way. That's wonderful. And because it's God that we're talking about, the kind of love he sets upon us is absolute and eternal and detailed and solid. I love what one writer says. I love what Henry Blackaby says. Wonderful quote. He says this, According to 1 John 4.16, God is love. This does not say that God loves, though he does love with a perfect and unconditional love. The scripture says that God's very nature is love. God can never function contrary to his own nature. Never in your life will God ever express his, love, his will toward you except that it is an expression of perfect love. He can't. God's kind of love always seeks the very best for a person. Therefore, he can never give you second best. His nature will not let him. This is our God. And can you imagine what that truth would really do to you and me if we really allowed it to sink in? changes everything it means that whatever i face however gray the days are or great the challenges god is intimately involved for my good he can't do otherwise he's god and for the believers peter is writing to this is crucial you see it doesn't mean they won't suffer peter's always telling them already they will and they are but it means that even in the suffering, even behind the suffering, is the intimate loving hand of the Father who is your best interests at heart. Because it's his nature. And so whatever you're going through this morning, whether, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're going through, it could be heartbreak. It could be disappointment. Right? It could be fear about the future. 
It could be that thing that's just waiting for you at home and that you don't want to face. Look, whatever it is, the promise is you are chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father. The Father knows you, knows everything about you, knows everything that is coming your way, knows what he will do to perfectly express that love. That is the glorious source of confidence and strength. Amen? It sure is. All right, going on to number two. Secondly, and I'll just touch on this because I want to go on to number three, really. Secondly, Peter says this, you are chosen according to the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Huge subject. In a nutshell, it's saying that God's love is a hands-on love. All right? He is conforming you to the image of his Son. He's determined to make something eternally beautiful out of you. That's why I love... um, I love Ephesians 2, one of my favorite verses where it simply says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that word workmanship means craftsmanship. In other words, you're a masterpiece in the making. You might say, well, Pete, no, I don't feel like that this morning. A masterpiece? Really? I don't feel like a masterpiece this morning. It doesn't matter what you feel. This is about God who knew what he would do with you, remember. He is crafting you. Right, that's number two. But I wanted to, to just leave that one uh, and spend time on the third chosen with you. This is the third chosen. And that's because this third chosen answers the what we were chosen for question. All right? What were we chosen for? All right, so we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We're chosen according to the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And we are chosen for obedience to Jesus. We're chosen for obedience to Jesus. And look, if the first chosen is important for us to draw strength from and feel secure, this chosen is so important for our understanding and purpose. Yes? And if there's one thing that's high on our list of concerns, it is purpose, isn't it? It's, what am I here for? Why has God put me upon the earth? What career should I be going for? Where's my direction? What ministry should I be going for and getting involved in? What do I give my energies to? Even what church should I attend? These are huge concerns for us, aren't they? And, and uh, the sense of purpose. And these folks in Peter's day are no different from us. And Peter's answer is absolutely crystal clear. You have been chosen by God, called by him for obedience to Jesus. Guys, that's it. That's it, obedience to Jesus. Now, I don't expect you all to jump up and go, Yahoo, obedience, wonderful. Because it's not that kind of word in our culture, is it? I mean, obedience is, is not that kind of word, uh, not a good word these days. When we think about obedience, we think of kind of negative feelings, don't we, negative thoughts. We think of confinement. We think of being given orders. We think of restriction. We think of being told what to do. We think of a loss of freedom. We, 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 do we really have to obey? We think of that kind of confining sense of being forced to obey. We could probably recount stories of being forced to do things by our teacher or by our, our boss or even by our parents when we were young. 
Trouble is that our culture doesn't like that word obedience. Our culture actually has been described as the most individualistic, consumerist culture in history. And it's true, I think. You know, everything is about me and my preferences. I mean, the whole advertising industry is built on that, isn't it? And I guess this is where we would be slightly different culturally to Peter's day, all right? There is a difference because the big concerns back in Peter's day were more to do with what I'd call life and death issues, you know, like uh, how will we survive? That was an issue back then. How will we get enough food to eat this winter? Or how will we stay in our homes? We could be thrown out at any time. Or... How will we pay our taxes to this occupying army? Or, or how will we find peace in this war-torn land? Right, that were the big issues in Peter's day. Whereas in our day and age, the questions are more about this, aren't they? They're more about how can I, not we, how can I be fulfilled? Or how can I be free to express myself? Or... How can I be satisfied and happy? That's more the questions that we have. And it's a different emphasis. And folks, we are products of our age. And in one sense, we can't help that. And this came home to me just a little while ago, just a few months ago, where I found myself at home on my lazy boy chair uh, with my remote control in my hand. And I'm trying to get the thing to work to watch the program I want to watch on my Apple TV. And uh, it really wasn't coming off very well at all. It wasn't working. And uh, I was getting increasingly agitated. And really the agitation was this, was that I can't get my way and watch my program now when I want to. And, and then my oldest boy, Sam, who's just been to Southeast Asia, Cambodia, he comes in the door, looks around, watches me fighting and getting agitated with the remote. And he just says, Dad, Dad, first world problem first world problem and uh, I'm going oh yeah it probably is actually Uh, we can be like that he's right I'm getting wound up because my cozy preferences are being frustrated but we can be like that without meaning to we can drift into that little egocentric world where where it's all about me and this does overflow into church life too doesn't it you know what is God's purpose for my life What's my calling? What's my ministry? What is God's will for me? And it's almost a little bit like as if the universe revolves around me. And God really does need to address this urgently. What shall I do with my life? And it's a little bit like it's about me and my purposes. I know I used this quotation back at the camp a few few months ago, but it's so important and I love what it says. It says this, What is God's will for my life is not the best question to ask. I think the right question is simply, what is God's will? Once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life to him and his purposes. In other words, what is it that God is purposing? Once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. The focus needs to be on God and his purposes and not my life. Can you get what he's saying? What he's saying is our calling is to live in obedience to Jesus because it's about looking where Jesus is involved and what his purpose is and where his heart is and what he values. And so the question becomes not what is my purpose, but Jesus, what is yours? Where is your heart? What is your passion? 
And it's really not hard to work out. Jesus loves the lost. And Jesus loves his church. That's his passion. And therefore, I build my life around what around that priority. Whatever is required, whether it's putting out chairs on a Sunday or preaching from the pulpit, it really doesn't matter. It's all about him. It's about this King Jesus that we've been worshipping. And can I just say this? That's why the Christian life has a strong element of suffering in it. All right? And sacrifice. Again, these aren't words that we like to use these days. Not popular. But it's important because following Jesus involves the laying down of our preferences, our comfort, even our dreams for his. And the churches in Peter's day are clearly told that to follow Jesus, to obey him, is actually to walk a path of suffering. And so it says in chapter 2, verse 21, uh, it says there about this, this path, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously or justly. So can you see the path we're called to walk is a path that Jesus walked. He is our king. We're called to obey him. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He is our example. We're chosen to obey him, but it's a pathway of cost and of sacrificing our preferences. A pathway of not retaliating when you're mistreated or reacting when someone offends you. And just to say, Peter's not just talking about the persecuted church here. He's talking about how we live every day following Jesus on the northern beaches. And I say that because Peter goes on to talk about everyday things. I mean, he talks about masters and slaves in the next chapter, and that's not everyday these days necessarily. But then he goes on to talk about other everyday things like, like marriage in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1, he comes out with this one. Wives, in the same way, he says, submit to your husbands. Wow. That's a, that's a big word. That's a big word. A powerful word. But then it says, if you look at it, it says, wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands. In what way is he talking about? Well, actually, it refers back to chapter 2. It's in the way that Jesus walked. In other words, what it means is this. This is Jesus who chose not to retaliate or threaten when he was treated unjustly. That's the in the same way part. That's what it's referring to. In other words, wives, however provoked you are by your husband, however annoyed you get with him, however frustrated you feel by his behavior, however disappointed you may feel that he's not leading as he should, Follow the path of Jesus, who did not threaten and did not retaliate, but entrusted himself to his father. Wives, it says, submit to your husbands. 
and then live godly lives. It's powerful stuff. It's radical stuff. Because then Peter goes on in the seventh verse, he says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. In the same way. In what way? Well, it's the way that that Jesus walked. It's exactly that way. When Jesus did not retaliate when he was wronged, who did not threaten when he was insulted, and who walked the path of suffering. In other words, husbands, don't get in a huff with your wife. Don't give her the cold shoulder or withdraw. Don't criticize her, but treat her with respect and honor her. Allow her views to be heard and seek them and respect those views. Honor your wife. That's what it's saying in 1 Peter. Everyday stuff. Julie and I have been married for 27 years now. And, uh, and I didn't appreciate this when we were first married, but I can say honestly now that whatever I am in God is because of her. She has been my partner in, in everything down the years. But can you see, in everyday life, we're called to obedience to Jesus. It's what we were chosen for. It's God's purpose for you. So then in verse 8, a few verses down from there, Peter goes on to address the whole church, and he, and he says, finally, he says, He says, all of you, he goes on to say, all of you, all of you obey. I don't suppose we have that up there. All of you obey, all of you. Uh, I'm just trying to find it here. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So now he's talking to the whole church, the whole church to live this way. The way we respond to each other and react, that's where we walk the path of obedience to Jesus, being like-minded, sympathetic, compassionate, humble, loving one another. Guys, that's your prime concern. That's the path of suffering. That's obedience to Jesus. That's giving ourselves to what he values and loves, and he loves the church for the lost. Wonderful stuff. And that's why we will live for Jesus and like Jesus towards each other. We will not retaliate. We will not threaten, even Christianly. We will entrust ourselves to him who so profoundly loves us. We will bless and not curse, even in our thoughts. And we will give ourselves to the building of his church and not our preferences. And you know, in Peter's day, for some, that required their lives, literally, chosen for obedience to Jesus. Wonderful calling. Can I just say that my own conviction is this, as I look across the church here this morning and as I've got to know you over the last year or so particularly, the hand of God is powerfully upon you. And I don't know whether you've realized that fully, how powerfully he is. He is powerfully upon you. You have a clear calling to grow and to plant many churches into this nation and beyond. You do. But it's as you plug into and embrace, embrace these apostolic truths, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, chosen for obedience to Jesus. It's as you plug into that that you will grow and plant with perseverance and power. I fully believe that. You are building New Testament church, and that is what this nation needs. 
New Testament church. Radical embracing of God who is our Father and the glorious King who is His Son and obeying Him. Amen? Amen. Can we stand? Hallelujah. I believe this, that the invitation that God is putting before us is to live the way the New Testament did. To live with that radical passion for Jesus and a desire for his glory to be seen in and through his church. That's his calling of us. And what an exciting time to be alive and an exciting time to be part of his church. And the way we respond is really crucial. It's that we enjoy what's going on and be plugged in, but it's also that we face the deeper challenge, which is the call of Christ to follow him. And we do so out of the wonderful strength of knowing that we have been chosen and that God has planned out everything. He knows your life intimately and with great detail. He will never let you down, but he will give you refreshment and healing and all you need. I'm just aware as we're standing that there may may well be some here at a crossroads. And maybe you're very mindful of the fact that you do need God and that you can't see change unless something miraculous happens in your life. And maybe it is a situation at home. And I know in a congregation like this, we can smile and be happy and clap each other on the back, but you can be falling apart on the inside. I believe now is the time for you to reach out to God and find him to be true. And maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life. Well, you can do so right now and come into the family. You can do that right now. Maybe you've known him for years. I believe this, that God would give you a greater impulse, a greater work of strength in your life as you lean on him. Can we just bow our heads for a moment? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for the radical apostolic calling upon your church, which is to truly radiate the strength and power that you would put upon us, even as we recognize and rejoice in the fact that we are chosen. We're not mistakes bobbing around on the ocean of life, just kicked around by every current or circumstance. We are chosen. You've set your love upon us. Oh, Father, thank you so much for that. And then, Lord, you've saved us into purpose. And it's as we follow Jesus, our King, that we see the kingdom come in power. As we put Jesus first, as we lay our preferences down, as we walk the road that is costly, we find the reward far outweighs the cost. Father, we thank you for your calling of us. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would put these truths deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, we say, come, Lord, come upon us. We welcome you in these days, and we realign our lives to follow you. Lord, we reject the lies of the enemy that say we're an accident and we're not important. We receive your truth that we are children of God. And we thank you, Lord, that our calling is a glorious calling of walking the path that you walked. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege of that. And we thank you for the glory to come. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. We're going to have a song now, I believe. But let's, let's, let's sing this song.